0: You know, G'day mate, 40 here, so I've been up to figure out why Australia is so rich because it's not wasting a lot of money on uh, cloth for uh, bathing suit bottoms. It's just, uh, just going with just a little strip and uh, therefore we've, we've got all these resources that we can use for other things. So you know, the, the beautiful young women here, they never wear anything but bikinis it appears. It hardly any cloth covering the bum so Australia then plows you know, all that, that money that is saved from buying schmata to cover up the bum and they plow it into you know, building mines and uh, liquid natural gas facilities and uh, just you know, frees up so much economic resources and might it's just able to transform the whole country so uh, Australians not particularly modest but I haven't witnessed any harassment all right all the beautiful sheilas in bikinis you know all the young women looking so fit and uh, there's, there's no harassment it doesn't even feel like there's you know sexual tension it's just a very relaxed sporty fit atmosphere and then we get to save all that money that could otherwise you know be spent on uh, schmutter you know, clothing materials and all that we get to save that and invest in our country so that's how Australia got so rich we don't waste money on fabric to cover up the bum mate G'day mate, 40 here. So, they say Sydney's one of the most expensive cities in the world, but I just don't see it. Like, I, I find accommodation very reasonably priced. Food, I mean, I've been eating so well. My, my brother described me as a locust. Just been going through the mangoes, only the really expensive stuff, the, the, uh, well, the peaches and the nectarines and the apricots. Man, they, they say Sydney one of the world's most expensive cities. I just don't see that. i got more money in the bank now than when I arrived in this country. Like, I, I haven't paid anything for accommodation. I've just been bludging off my sister and my brother and their friends. I haven't had to pay a thing. Now, food? Oh, I've eaten like a prince, mate. All the expensive fruits, like the, the mangoes, the... Three-dollar mangoes, mate. Didn't cost me anything. My sister bought them, or my brother bought them. I even did some work in the for my brother, and I made some money legally. Use my tax file number here in Australia. All by the book, mate. All very legal. Now, uh, transportation. No worries, mate. I hopped on board with my sister. Drove all the way from Sydney to Tanam Sands. So it's about. About the distance from uh, to Los Angeles to Seattle didn't cost me a thing, right? Now, my sister may have spent $350, $400 for the petrol, but no worries on my end. Now, I do have a couple of complaints. The price of ice creams here is just exorbitant. Like, I've been, I've been spending like $5 just for an ice cream, just for like a peppermint ice cream. Now, Australian ice creams is really good, but five dollars for an ice cream, mate? Five fifty? Wow, I can feel an ice cream coming on. So, I, I've spent spent about a hundred bucks on a New South Wales Opal card that allows me to use public transport in New South Wales. So, about a hundred bucks for public transport. We're here at world famous Bondi Beach, mate. And I bought a few ice creams. All kosher. And uh, that's about it for my, for my expenses. Oh, I bought some protein bars and some protein powder. But uh, I don't get what all the fuss is about. As far as I'm concerned, Australia's been very reasonably priced. Good thing that I've got an uh, older sister and an older brother and a bunch of friends to bludge off. All my friends here, they've all taken me out to eat. Like, I didn't have to pay eating at like, fancy, fancy vegetarian restaurants, mate. It's been tops, I just filled out really expensive food, didn't cost me a thing. Took, uh, took a trip down to Kurumbong, went back to the bong to Avondale College, didn't cost me a thing, hitched a ride with a mate, so uh, I'm navigating the cost of living very effectively. No worries. G'day, mate. 40 here. Caution: Do not climb over the fence. So back at Watsons Bay. So I've uh, hiked about 15k, 15 kilometers from Coogee, about 10 miles breathing the cliffs and then over there's Manly so you can take a ferry to Manly and then this used to be like the the military the Australian military used to control this so used to have a fort I assume or guns set up there but now we've gone slack man We we need our guns here at uh, Watson's Bay to fend off any invaders. So Culture War, pretty, pretty relaxed here, so hold on to hope, there's always help. So, never heard, you know, an angry word about, uh, you know, masks. I haven't seen anyone abused for wearing a mask. Like, you know, when I see someone wearing a mask outside, well, I mean, I guess some people might question how important that is, but I don't know about you, I just abide by the World Health Organization or their their guidelines. So, culture war was fairly muted down under. People seem to just be having a good time, having a barbie, going to the beach, watching the cricket, eating mangoes. My God, is this beautiful or what? Oh, oh, mate. So, I mean, they do have protests here against, you know, vaccine and mask mandates but uh, not terribly intense. So, I've been in Australia now seven weeks. don't think I've heard a crossword. I can't, life is really good in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. So that's Watson's Bay just right ahead, that's where I was yesterday, so do not climb over the fence guys, for your own safety, keeping an eye out for any invaders, Okay, don't see any yellow peril, I think we'll be right, and then That's the Sydney Harbour Bridge, mate. Dead ahead, Sydney Harbour Bridge, and the Sydney Opera House, and then to the left of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, now dead ahead, is the CBD, Central Business District of Sydney. So I started walking at noon, took a break for a nice swim at Bondi Beach, world-famous Bondi Beach. Now I think I'm approaching the apex of my trip. Gosh, I love the cliff walk, man. There's something about cliffs. Just can't stop exploring Sydney. Ah, you beauty! You beauty! anything better than the sound of the ocean steep cliffs a fine harbour beautiful opera house very clean and high-functioning central business district there's good old manly we love manly don't we folks we're too happy to hate here in sydney mate People are always complaining about the high cost of living here. I just don't get it. Right? I've hardly ever had to reach into my pocket just for the occasional ice cream. Right? And uh, to ride public transport. Which is very clean, very efficient, very friendly, very happy experience. A lot of people going on and on about the high cost of living. I just... Uh, I just let my sister and my brother pick all that up. And my Jewish friends and my non-Jewish friends and my viewers, my loyal viewers. I'll put their hand in their pocket for me. Come out with 250 bucks. It's very nice, it's very nice. <sighs> Sorry I lost my gimbal. I you know you usually... Look to me for really high-quality live streams. (laughs) I'm going to come back with a DJI combo kit. 500 bucks of live-streaming excellence. Okay, to the left is Bondi, to the right is Manly. Hold on to hope, guys. Don't jump. Hold on to hope. love our Sydney, don't we folks? i <laughs> to use all of my remaining 10 gigs that I paid 50 good bucks for. And it runs out in two days. So I'm just going on a live streaming marathon. So I was here yesterday. I think I want to take the ferry. Sydney Harbour Ferry. today mate. So yesterday when I came with my to Watson's Bay I only had my Oppo my cheap Android. Now I've got my high quality iPhone. So, provide you that high definition experience. Okay, still looking for any culture war down under. Not seeing much of it. Not doing much culture war here at Watson's Bay. Oh, walked 15 Ks today. Had two good swims. One at Coogee Beach at 6 am, another one at Bonday at 2 pm. Thing probably coming up on 6 pm here. Monday evening. Cliff walk, I love you mate. So glad that we can share this experience together. Wherever I go, I can take you with me. That's just on Shabba's. culture war going on at the moment. There's manly. It's Australia's a very masculine society. The manly men get a manly. So watch out, unstable cliff edges, slippery surfaces. It's all on the line here. Have a good bushwalk. So I don't do this kind of hiking much in LA. I'm also good at hiking trails. So I've become way too insular. I just tend to ride my exercise bike, my stationary bike at home and watch movies. Maybe I need to get out a bit more, take advantage of Los Angeles. So, to the right of me will be the ocean, to the left of me will be the harbor. So we're at Watson's Bay, no climbing. G'day, mate, Forty here. So, does, does Glenn, Glenn Lowry host uh, YouTube's edgiest show? I mean, I just watched a show with the Amy Wax. And uh, Amy Wax said positive things about Jared Taylor, talks about how she reads American Renaissance, how she disagrees with Charles Murray, that uh, white identity politics may not be such a big disaster. She makes the commonsensical point that... Uh, that if identity politics is good for some groups, then it's got to be good for all groups. So how can black identity politics and Jewish identity politics and Latino identity politics be kosher, but white identity politics is not kosher? So Glenn Lowry consistently hosts YouTube's edgiest show. I mean, he had Charles Murray on talking about his new book, Facing Reality... About disproportionate rates of crime committed by various racial groups, and uh, talked about uh, cognitive differences between various racial groups. All right, this was all on uh, the Glenn Lowry show. So, if you don't know Glenn Lowry, he's a centrist uh, black intellectual who shows, you know, some thim- sympathy for right-wing perspectives, and he throws his show open to to a lot of uh, right-wing thinkers who've been. Exiled from polite conservatism, such as Amy Wax and Glen Low- uh, Amy Wax and uh, Charles Murray. So Amy Wax said she you know, strongly d- disagreed with Charles Murray that uh, the white identity politics, you know, was just you know, the worst thing ever. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Glenn Lowry said that you know, white identity politics would you know be absolutely awful, but uh, didn't make a particularly strong case for why. So, Glenn Lowry says we should, we should try to do away with all identity politics, but I think the way we're just wired is that we, we, you know, we're wired to identify with our group, like, we're, we're most interested in people who are similar to ourselves. So, good on Glenn Lowry, though, for hosting you know, Charles for I mean, Charles Murray and, uh, and Amy Wack, so... Amy Wax got into trouble for this latest interview because she talked about restricting Asian immigration. Because she was skeptical that the spirit of liberty, you know, beat in their breasts, and uh, and I think that was a particularly strong argument. So, Amy Wax does not make the case for significant biological differences between the races, but what she sees as self-evident is that there are big, uh, you know, cultural differences. So she tried to make a case against. Essentially, non-white immigration. So she argued that you know, the United States is a civilization from the West and that uh, when it comes to immigration we should choose people who are most compatible with our majority population, which in practice would mean you know, more, more white immigrants, fewer Asian and African and Latino immigrants. So she, she notices that uh, conservatives are very scared of talking about race right? they, they, they don't want to be called racist but uh, Amy Wax goes about as far as you can go and still be in the national conservatism Yoram Hazoni conference spectrum but uh, quite the interesting discussion between Glenn Lowry and Amy Wax I think it came out December 20th and you're looking out uh, Bondi Beach there directly straight ahead It's about uh, five kilometres probably from here. So one uh, downside with the Amy Wax-Glen Lowry discussion is that they would keep interrupting each other. So they should be very wasp about it. Just allow one person to speak at a time, allow that one person to make their point, and then allow the next person to take up. G'day, Robert. How are you, mate? So you're looking at eastern suburbs of Sydney, you're looking at Bondi, and out beyond Bondi is Watson's Bay where I was yesterday, and out beyond that is Manly. So guess what? I walked past Adam Gilchrist, like on this trail, all right? About half an hour ago, I walked past Adam Gilchrist, the former Australian wicker keeper, and just terrific batsman. When he would... When he would score runs, it'd be at a very high rate of knots. It was like very exciting to watch. Adam Gilchrist, man, he could belt out the runs. I just, I just watched him on Ko Sports. That's the sports live sports streaming app here in Australia. About a million subscribers, and uh, they did a documentary on Monkey Gate. So Andrew Simons was a part black part black player on the australian national cricket team so andrew simons i think had a father who was caribbean and a mother who was scandinavian so andrew simons could you know pass for southern european he could almost pass for italian so he played for the australian national cricket team for about 20 or 30 tests then in a test against india about uh, 15 years ago uh, there was this Indian batsman who would call him a monkey. And Andrew Simons took really strong... Uh, yeah, Andrew Simons took really strong exception to that. And uh, and then made an official complaint. Right? Made an official complaint about Monkeygate. And then uh, went through the appeals process and... Uh, anyway, things didn't go Andrew Simons' way. What does being black have to do with it? Well, it's because he was being called a monkey. So he was arguing that he was the object of racial vilification and so initially the Indian batsman uh, got a three match suspension but then it got, got overturned and like Andrew Simons already American Luke is fading away so Andrew Simons was like very quick to take offense so when an Indian player simply like patted Brett Lee the fast bowler like Andrew Simons like went and took you know took offense and like got in the guy's face and uh, it was a very tense match like uh, the the umpires had uh, made some dubious decisions that went against india and anyway the the point of monkey gate is that after bringing this allegation andrew simon's life you know kind of collapsed into alcoholism your face looks thinner and more weathered like that crocodile dundee guy yeah so his life collapsed and yeah, a lot of sun exposure. So I got a medical checkout while I was here. I got my Australian Medicare card, and I got a couple of spots to watch for potential skin cancer. So I've been getting a ton of sun, like a ton of, of exercise. So I walked about 12K yesterday out to Watson's Bay. So anyway, I think this is like fairly common. Andrew Simons brings this racial vilification complaint, and then because the complaint doesn't go his way, he uh, collapses into alcoholism. He was already a heavy drinker, but uh, he then collapses into you know alcoholism. It ends his his professional cricket career. You know his life just falls apart. And I've seen this again and again. Better watch on the beach to see what's coming. Yeah, I saw on the beach. I saw both versions: the 1950s version and the the Australian remake. So I, I see that. I'm not sure I've seen the Quiet Earth. So I remember this woman, this friend of mine, she was, you know, quite attractive, and uh, she was an attorney, and she brought a complaint for sexual harassment, and it didn't go her way, and it just destroyed her life. She went from being, you know, hot and charming and outgoing and just, you know, a ton of fun, but when her sexual harassment complaint didn't go her way, her life absolutely collapsed. Sing the Waltzing Matilda. Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda, you'll come a-waltzing Matilda with you. Aussie cellular sucks. Anyone else have, have, uh, have complaints about Australian cellular production? But yeah, a lot of people bring you know, a hot-button controversial complaint like Andrew Simons did or my female attorney friend, right? When you bring that kind of hot-button racial vilification sexual harassment complaint and it doesn't go your way, people are going to fight back, right? Because nobody wants to, to be on the losing end of such a hot-button discussion, hot button controversy and then people just fall apart so so it's all tempting to breathe, to. Uh, oh, who did Georgie Girl yeah, Georgie Girl, she's like 80 years old mate, I'm not even sure she's still alive so no, I'm not going to be dating the, the singer of Georgie Girl you'd be a fool to turn your back on those roots, walking is my mental health practice in winter I walk less I notice I'm more depressed and anxious well, you can walk year round here but I tell you one thing in, uh, in Sydney, the weather forecasts are the worst I've ever seen. So today it was supposed to be mostly sunny, but it was light like raining for much of the last hour. So, the Seekers, yeah, the Seekers folk group. Mate, I, I don't date women over 40. So when they say it's raining, often it'll be sunny all day, pretend she's still 20. And when they say it'll be sunny, You know, often it turns out rainy. The most unpredictable weather here that that I've ever seen. So Amy Wax. Oh yeah, so... I... I saw an interesting article by Ezra Klein. You don't date women over 30. I actually saw an interesting article by Ezra Klein. I'm not going to deny it. And uh, it was in the New York Times... And he talks about the difference between politics for power and politics for emotional catharsis. So, I don't normally get much benefit from Ezra Klein, but uh, here you go in the the New York Times today. So, this is how he starts out. Talks about a new book, which I just downloaded. So, in his 2020 book, Politics is for Power eton hirsch a political scientist at tufts sketched a day in the life of many political observers in sharp if cruel terms yeah light rain is cold so i don't mind the rain it's just i can't believe the weather forecast is so inaccurate here so this political scientist says i refresh my twitter feed to uh keep up on the latest political crisis and toggle over to facebook to read clickbait news stories yeah everyone's not everyone a lot of people are fit here and uh Almost no fatties. So this is political scientist Eitan Hirsch. He says, uh, this is his daily routine. I refresh my Twitter feed to keep up on the latest political crisis and toggle over to Facebook to read clickbait news stories, then over to YouTube to see a montage of juicy clips from the latest congressional hearing. I then complain to my family about all the things that I don't like that I have seen. So to Eitan Hirsch, that's not politics. It's what he calls political hobbyism. So is that what we're engaged in, guys? We engaged in political hobbyism rather than the pursuit, the bloodthirsty pursuit of uh, power. Yes, my family would object if I married a kangaroo. So would my rabbi. So political hobbyism, right? Is that what we're doing here? It's, it's, It's a national pastime. So a third of Americans say they spend two hours or more each day on politics. How much time do you spend each day on politics? Of these people, four out of five say that not one minute of that time is spent on any kind of real political work. It's all TV news and podcasts and radio shows and social media and cheering and booing and complaining to friends and family. What if the kangaroo were of the Hebraic faith? So real political work is the intentional strategic accumulation of power in service of a defined end. It is action in service of change, not information in search of outrage. All right. So when you come here to this show, all right, this show is about service of change. Action in service of change. Not so many snakes in Sydney, but uh, more outside of Sydney, in regional Australia. Right? Are you about action in service of change, or are you seeking information in service of outrage? So, outrage and fuel and fury—they're only useful as a fuel for getting something done. And outrage and uh, fury—you know—should not be the ends. So, Ezra Klein says, "Yeah, very few street, no street gangs in eastern suburbs Sydney, maybe western Sydney, but overall Sydney's like the fourth safest." City in the world, so Steve Bannon has made it his mission to recruit people who don't believe in democracy to serve as municipal poll workers. So this is interesting, right? On the right, we always think that people on the right are, you know, not paying attention to where the power lies, and that they're getting, you know, out competed by the left. And uh, Ezra Klein says, I'll say this for the right: they pay attention to where the power lies in the American system. Is that true? Does the right pay attention to where the power lies in the American system? In ways the left sometimes doesn't. Steve Bannon calls this the precinct strategy, and it's working. Suddenly, people who have never before showed interest in party politics started calling the local GOP. I never get outraged. I convince myself my political interests are purely ethnographic. Disavow. I said, so people who've never before showed any interest in party politics started calling the local GOP headquarters, crowding into county conventions, eager to enlist as precinct officers. Pro Publica reports. They show up in states Trump won and in states Trump lost, in deep red rural areas, in swing voting suburbs, and in popular cities. So I didn't realize this. So is this energy transferring from Trump? Or is this independent of Trump? The difference between those organizing at the local level to shape democracy and those raging ineffectually about democratic backsliding, myself included, remind me of the old line about war. Yes, I am able to vote in Australia. Emitters talk strategy, professionals talk logistics. So right now, Trumpists are talking logistics. Yeah, Ezra Klein is calling out the right for catching on to what the left has been doing for years. So we do not have one federal election. We have 50 state elections and then thousands of county elections, and each of those ladder up to give us results. So a Congress can write some rules and boundaries for how elections are administered, state legislatures can make decisions on who can vote and not vote, counties and towns making decisions about how much money they're spending what technology they're using and the rules around which candidates can participate yes it's uh 104 monday afternoon here and it looks like the dallas cowboys are going to be matching up against the san francisco 49ers it's a very overcast day like it's hard to think that there'd be that much you know uh radiation look look at that very very overcast i am wearing sunscreen and I'm I'm wearing my my Aussie hat. Right. So. Yeah, Glenn Lowry, I think he's got like the edgiest show on, uh, right, he's got the edgiest show on YouTube. Okay, look at that beautiful sky. Yeah, it's like an Aussie keeper. They're like all peeing out of the water it's of fucking paint. Oh, very, uh, very fair dinkum shoes, mate. Here we go. They're, uh, they're a bit worn. But uh, skeechers. Very comfortable. Very fair, Dinkum. How much weight have you lost since arriving in Australia? Um, at one point, I was down like seven pounds, but uh, I, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm pretty much, pretty much back to, to where I was. So I'm about, uh, hundred and sixty-five to one hundred sixty-eight pounds. Okay, very disturbing story here from the New York Review of Books. I hope this does not get out. So, an expert on uh, Franz Fanon, who was a you know, bl- black uh, political activist, uh, Adam Schatz is a white guy writing about him, and uh, he writes in the New York Review of Books that he was essentially the victim of uh, mass polar bear hunters. says, my attackers came out of nowhere on a familiar street and didn't even take my wallet, but they robbed me of something, a New Yorker's self-assurance. Whoa! Whoa! Thank you so much for the super chat. Very exciting. And uh, it says, there's something morbidly instructive about being beaten up by people who are obviously relishing your humiliation. This is in the New York Review of Books. It's on top of Steve Saylor's blog. To read about the pleasure people have taken in cruelty is not the same as experiencing it firsthand. So, it just uh, was published January 7th. Before I set upon assaulted and robbed at roughly 9:15 p.m. half block from my girlfriend's building in Chelsea, I had been having a rather good day. I just outlined the last chapters of my book on Franz Fanon, radical West Indian author of *The Wretched of the Earth* and *Black Skin, White Masks*. So, let's have a look at. Uh, Oh, the Mighty Park. There are tons of lefty prosecutors in moderate towns because the left realized turnout is crazy low and some funding and turnout effort is effective. Exactly. So maybe the right is learning from the left on how to do politics. So this white guy wrote a couple of books on this radical West West Indian activist. And he was feeling a surge of adrenaline after writing his book. So he he put on his headphones to listen to a podcast conversation with his friend randall kennedy about his new book on race and civil rights say it loud randy's voice was the last thing i heard as i turned right on west 17th street and 9th avenue where my attackers were lying in wait there were three young men barely old enough to be caught that 16 or 17 and almost immediately i was on the pavement i don't know if i was jumped or if i was thrown to the ground What I remember is the thud, the sound of my body meeting the concrete. Well, not a lot of this in uh, Sydney. As soon as I fell, they began taking turns kicking and punching me in my stomach, my upper thigh, the right side of my waist. They didn't say anything. What I do remember is their laughter. They were chuckling amongst themselves as I absorbed the blows. Their voices sounded youthful and immature, and they moved like gangling teenagers. But they knew something that had never occurred to me—that my prone, defenseless body could be the source of considerable entertainment. And then I got to disavow. He names the race of his assailants, and uh, and then uh, the article cuts off because of the New York Review of Books. Yeah, Tinsborg on Twitter talks humiliation of robberies in Sweden. They have a word for it. And then, yeah, a lot of uh, humiliation crime going on in sweden as well as new york city and other places so society encouraging masked men to roam the streets at the same time society is encouraging certain groups to feel extremely aggrieved towards white people is a recipe for polar bear hunting sounds like a scene from a clockwork orange yeah like it would never occur to me that beating someone up could just be you know great entertainment but uh, apparently it is and these people vote for Alvin Bragg right I think you say they never learn I think they will. Right, I think they will. Uh, even, even people on the left get, get tired of uh, you know, get tired of massive amounts of crime. Science museum boards up display on early human migration because it is non-inclusive. Man, how did uh, the woke take over all the museums? Oh, did you guys know that NPR is having a white supremacy crisis? So, all these uh, black players at NPR have quit. So, Crystal Marie Fleming says the problem at NPR is white supremacy. That so few are saying this explicitly is telling indeed. But yes, very telling indeed. So, Audie Cornish, host of All Things Considered, is leaving NPR. She wrote on Twitter she's joining many of you in the great resignation. So did you guys realize that uh, NPR was all about white supremacy? Then an interesting academic study here. Uh, Half of blacks say they prefer to be robbed or burglarized than to have unprovoked contact with cops. So they'd rather be robbed by their own kind than have to deal with the police. So Steve Saylor writes about the lost age of uh, Los Angeles triumphalism. Yeah, we kind of evolved that much since the 16th century. People back then loved public executions and humiliations as well as animal torture and bear baiting. So, Durham, the 1985 TV series Half Nelson, starred Joe Pesky, plus uh, three NFL football players, Dip Buckus, Bubba Smith. So, Los Angeles was uh, was really fashionable for from about 1984 to 1990. and uh, 1984 Olympics turned out to be great the embodiment of morning in America and uh, Los Angeles triumphalism basically reigned until Dick Cheney turned off the aerospace budget spigot, right, Steve Saylor after the fall of the Soviet Union, which ushered in Los Angeles' 1990s time of troubles of riot earthquake and O.J. Simpson and uh, do big football players still get cast in TV shows, right, that was a big thing in the 1970s and 1980s. Oh, so there's a new documentary, uh, Expedition Content, and uh, it's about the making of a famous old 1963 anthropology documentary, Dead Birds, about tribal warfare in New Guinea. And uh, this new documentary has almost no images because you wouldn't want to stereotype the headhunters looking like headhunters. So Expedition Content, virtually no Images about tribal warfare. I mean, who cares about New Guinea headhunters, right? Really boring. So, Michael Rockefeller, the son of the sitting New York governor, almost certainly got eaten by these headhunters in. New Guinea, and uh, New York Times does not mention this in their review. because Why would anyone be interested in learning that young Mr. Rockefeller was uh, devoured by cannibals? Oh, so ex-man swimmer Leah Thomas finally loses a woman's swimming race to a streamlined ex-woman. Regular woman swimmer's left in the dust. So now in women's sports, various ex-men are now winning is Adam Schatz of the Hebrew Persuasion. I'm not sure. It sure sounds like it. Wow. Shootings in Sweden are up 1,268% since Angela Merkel's mistake back in 2015. Who would have thought that shootings in Sweden would uh, go up 1,268 points? Elliot Blight, you don't care about our groups? Bro. I'm not sure you're allowed to say that. Base cannibals. I remember LA in the 2000s, Skid Row was terrifying, but Venice Beach was pacified, semi-pacified. There are lots of people in New York who won't put out with polar bear hunting, Russians, Hispanics, Dominicans, Muslims. And then they're gonna keep putting out with Alvin Bragg, the left-wing DA, right? Scrolling through the chat. I never get outraged. I convince myself my political interests are purely ethnographic. Says the mighty Buck. Yeah, not many street gangs here. One of the safest cities in the world. Twitter is pure entertainment for 99.9% of users. Joe Klein is smart but a hack. He's a good bellwether of the wonk left. Yeah, he's occasionally interesting. Defend the constitution, it defends you. Walking is my mental health practice. If you fool to turn your back on your roots, mate. Wanna see you with a chum bucket. Ford ain't coming back to LA. I need to watch the quiet earth. I don't remember seeing that. Okay, I must walk on. May 40 here. So I went for a dip in the Coogee Beach, and uh, there were like these four beauty queens wearing their tiaras, and they were mucking around in the surf and taking selfies with their iPhones out in the surf. Have a good time, so refreshing. So anyway, point of etiquette. So I know that my audience is particularly attuned to questions of courtesy and etiquette. What's you know what's the right thing to do? So someone asks you to go for a walk. Right, and then they take an incoming call. Like how long? What's the etiquette for? How long can you can you you know talk on your on your phone to to someone else when when you're you're on a walk with another person? Right. So I think it's like five minutes. Right. So let's say you're going on a two-hour walk. If you take one call for five minutes, not a big deal. But ten minutes, ten minutes, I think is too much. That's where I put my foot down. So, yeah, I was uh, the recipient of that the other day, and I really didn't like it, right? It's no fun walking along with someone who's on a phone call, right, where you only hear one wet part of the conversation. So, on the other hand, like, I've gone for a walk, and I wanted to sit down and read the Wikipedia entry on Gough Whitlam. Right? To me, that's a different thing. Because you may be disengaging from the other person, but you're not on the phone. Right, so you're not subjecting them to a one-way conversation. So, I, I've been on dates, like a first date. And the woman, woman was taking calls. I, she, she probably took like three calls on our first date. And that was it. All right, 40's got standards. I made up my mind right there. I'm gonna put up with this. I never wanted to go out with her again. But then, for whatever reason, she became hyper-interested in me. I kept tracking me down. But all I could think about was, you disrespected me taking all those calls on our first date. Like, why, why would I wanna go out with you? So what's, when you when you invite someone to hang out, go for a walk, now, what's the appropriate amount of time that you can get on your phone to someone else? Like, obviously, it's a matter of life and death. But if there's a lot of money at stake, then I can understand taking the phone call. But if it's not urgent and if it's, there's not a lot of money at stake, there's not a lot of money at stake, then uh, I think like five minutes should be the max. G'day, May 40 here. So, I made uh, this decision to fly to Australia for two months in the space of about eight hours. So, 24 hours before I got on the plane, I wasn't even considering this. Uh, I just suddenly decided, hey, like there's an opening in my schedule, I'm going to do it. And I thought, oh, I'll go for three weeks, I'll go for a month. Maybe I'll go for two months, maybe I'll go for three months. Like I had the opportunity to go for three months and I forget. Three month vacation in Australia, like living with other people in their space, that's too long. And I have found myself missing LA much more intensely over the past week, right? So for the first six weeks, seven weeks that I was here, it was just, oh man, I gotta move to Australia. This is awesome. And now, over the past week, it's been more. Oh, I really miss LA. I really miss my own space. And uh, when you, when you make this like sudden decision to you know fly somewhere for two months, and I, I only take a backpack of stuff, you're always going to forget some things. So what do I most regret? Not bringing from the states. So number one, my activator, that chiropractic tool, that. that uh Fantastic way of loosening up tight muscles and kind of put putting you know everything back in its proper place. So I've been doing so much exercise on this trip that uh, you know all sorts of muscles that I didn't realize I had were, were getting sore, and <laughs> really, really wish I'd brought my activator. I really wished I'd brought like some nasal strips, like for my first night here, before I could go to the store and get some. It's like opening up the nasal passages so I could breathe. Like it's awful feeling. It's the middle of summer here, so when when it's hot, 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 and you're in you know unfamiliar space, and you just can't seem to breathe sufficiently. It's like ah, oh, not a good feeling. And I wish I'd brought the the mount for my uh, cam. So I've had to do all sorts of things to you know try to mount my cam when I do the. professional two three-hour shows Hmm. so thinking about regrets because I lost my gimbal on Friday all right I was at Bondi Beach and I love Australian mateship okay so good I Tony so I love the culture of mateship in Australia and so I've made a new mate here in Australia and both times that I was meeting up with him both times. I've been between 10 and 15 minutes late, which is really unlike me. Really unlike me. I'm a very on-time person. So I was having such a great time Friday afternoon doing a live stream from Bondi Beach that I decided to you know, stick, stick the gimbal in the sand with the, the phone on it and just you know go for a dip in the ocean, the beautiful Bondi Beach, you know, diving in. I didn't check the time because I was live streaming. I can't see the time while I'm live streaming. And so by the time I got out of the ocean, it was 1.40 PM and I was due to meet this bloke at 2 PM, about three, two and a half kilometers away. And so I hate being sticky from the ocean. So I jumped in the, the showers and then my gimbal was all filled with sand, so I washed it off. And in the course of like rushing all that together and then rushing off to meet the bloke, what does the gimbal represent? Rushing off to meet the, you know, my new mate, uh, I leave the gimbal behind. So seventy-dollar gimbal. So I'm thinking of going with the DJI creator combo. It's like four or five hundred dollars, but it's got like four different audio things. So. So anyway, I I felt a lot of regret, at losing my gimbal, and then another place we stayed at, uh, earlier. Uh, last week, I you know left behind my iPhone, wired headphones, earbuds, and uh, and a T-shirt. So so far, like the sum total worth of everything that I've lost in Australia is less than hundred dollars. But it's like, like it annoys me. Arr! Arr! Now I don't have the gimbal to give you that high quality smooth streaming experience for which you you know you really look to forty. Give you that you know really high quality streaming experience, and I can't provide that to you because I lost my gimbal. So anyway, thinking about regrets, so I'm back in Australia, and uh, you know I'm meeting up with a lot of people from childhood, you know, people from various times in my life, or relatives, siblings, whatever, and you know many of them have you know far outpaced me in many areas of life, and so it's really easy to be consumed with regret, and I experienced regret kind of mildly and episodically. Uh, I basically made a mindset change something like five years ago, approximately, where somehow it came into my head, or maybe I heard it from someone, that you know, given who I was, I could not have acted differently in that situation. So I find that really helpful. Like I don't tend to have a long-running regret, because of that mindset, and given who I was, you I know, could not have acted differently. And uh, yeah, so you know, obviously I've obviously, you know, made a bunch of blunders, a lot of mistakes, you know, gone wrong here. Now I've made a lot of choices that were not as healthy as they could have been, right? And in particular, when I've hurt other people, like my my careless words have you know caused some of my girlfriends to cry. And you know've wounded you know my parents and family and relatives and friends you know with, you know with careless, cruel, selfish decisions so i you know, I want to have regret for that that where i 'm hurting other people, I want to have regret for that because that 's good for me, not not in the obsessed sense, not you know, that it totally gets me down, not that it removes me from power and energy in fact, like having an appropriate sense of regret for hurting other people that that does give me power because helps me to realize oh you know I can see what I did wrong and I can go in a new direction and uh, I'm a responsible adult and I want to clean up my side of the street and I want to clean up the messes that I created on my my neighbor's side of the street so having an appropriate level of regret for the harm that I've done others but then with regard to you know myself and my own choices, my own happiness my own financial well-being, my own status you know, the bad decisions I made just to understand, given who I was at the time, I could not have acted differently. And I don't know that that's true, right? I'm not gonna claim that's true. I just find it incredibly helpful perspective. Like, given who I was, I could not have acted differently at the time. What a beautiful cricket ground here at Coogee. Right? So, you know, we grow up with a combo of uh, genetics And then early life experiences and they tend to profoundly shape us. So for example, I think I became particularly attention hungry because I I grew up where I was moved around a lot of different families because my mother was was dying of cancer and my dad was so busy looking after his dying wife, looking after his career as the chair of the religion department at Avondale College and then looking after my older brother and sister, like he had so many obligations on his time, but you know, I lived with a lot of different families in my first four years. So that you know probably produced an insecurity and a thirsting for you know, attention, a craving. A craving for attention, you know, which then manifested in an awful lot of live streaming <laughs> and blogging. Alright. So what I find uh, interesting to, to meditate on is uh, you know, what is the tension underneath the craving, right? So we can crave you know, chocolate ice cream. You know, some people crave to exhibit their genitals to uh, people in public, right? There's a crime, but there's also a craving. And other people you know, crave the distraction of TV sports, and, you know other people just crave the distraction of junk food or, or Netflix uh, but you know what's underneath that craving and you know, what's underneath that craving is some kind of tension all right that's you know there's some part of reality that one is not accepting right that, uh, one is not at peace with with oneself and and with others like, I think now, I really like the, the big book perspective that you know, underneath all our suffering and cravings and addictions is that an inability to accept reality. And so when I'm troubled, you know, what what part of reality is it that I'm refusing to accept? So refusing to accept that I was careless about time on Friday, that I didn't want to be late two times in a row, so then I got distracted and left my gimbal behind at the beach because i'm human and having such a good time live streaming that i forgot the time so i've been uh moving around i've slept in a lot of different places over the past two months and so it's uh, really easy to lose you know headphones you know lose some clothing uh, so part of the reality that i've been having you know trouble accepting is that uh I'm careless and uh, I'm sloppy and I'm human and in the course of packing and unpacking here and there and there I'm going to forget some things but luckily I haven't forgotten anything too important about to get stuck into my taxes 2021 so I know I remember once I sold a car I was so worried the other day, I thought that Mr. Ford's telephone cam got nicked down at Bondi Beach. No, for whatever reason, like I set up my cam, I set up my gimbal, went for for a dip in in Bondi Beach, and then the live stream just cut off. So by the time I got back to my gimbal, the live stream was off. I'm not sure why it cut off. So it's probably time for a new gimbal. And uh, so I could, you know, obsess about the loss of a $70 gimbal, and think, no, I need a better gimbal. Like I need need to spend the money for that DJI Creator combo pack. and I shell out four or five hundred dollars so I can provide the high-quality live-streaming experience that uh, you expect. So, over on those Coogee cliffs there, someone fell or jumped. A man in his 20s, Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. my time and uh, fell about uh, 20, 30 meters to his death. And it's the first time I've heard uh, police sirens and ambulance sirens while I've been in Australia. So this is Coogee Beach. This is where I came on my first morning here in Australia, and I walked along Coogee Beach, and I had a revelation that I want to move here, right? It's like, this is amazing. So definitely a higher quality of life available in Australia, in Sydney, like this is one of the safest cities in the world, right? So, I just realised how circumcised, circumscribed my life has been in, in Los Angeles, because you know I don't want to walk around at night. Uh, it's like, oh, I just don't want to bother, you know, going to that event at night. Uh, you know, don't want to deal with the traffic, or you know, don't want to deal with you know threats of crime and dysfunction. And so my life has become smaller over the past few years as we've had this surge in crime in LA. And then I get to Sydney and I think how much bigger it could be, right? There's nowhere I need to fear going in, in, in Sydney, particularly the central business district and uh, the eastern suburbs, which is where I'm at right now. And like riding public transport is a you know, perfectly lovely experience. You, know, you just get to meet your fellow Aussies. Like, interacting with strangers is so much more pleasant. For one, they speak English. And two, we share a moral universe, right, that uh, crime is bad. I can leave my iPhone on the beach and my gimbal on the beach. I can leave a you know, credit card. I could leave a laptop on the beach, and it's still going to be here you know, when I get back. And so... You know, coming here and standing here, makes me realize you know how much smaller my life has become in LA, you know, because of the threat of crime, because of the dysfunction, because you may not even be able to speak to half of your fellow Los Angeles residents, and you don't share much in common with you know, many of the people that uh, you see in Los Angeles. So, in Australia. It seems to be like much more of a shared moral universe. There's this Anglo-universal morality. There's very little sense in Australia. I haven't encountered this thought yet, that it's okay to treat out-groups differently than you treat your in-group. I have not encountered that thinking out loud. Now, obviously, people do things that they then don't say out loud, but I haven't even encountered that thinking. Well, in America... You know, it's widespread. Like many blacks think, oh, you, you, know, you get to treat non-blacks differently than your you fellow black. Or many Jews think that. Or you know, many southern or eastern Europeans think that. Or so I'm living in universal morality here, as far as the rhetoric. And rhetoric's important. Like rhetoric shapes people. Right? the words we say, we create the words. But then the words we say create us. Like I'm immediately driven to defend something that I say out loud. And my mind will, you know, work six ways to Sunday coming up with, you know, why what I've said is true and right and important. So, looking out there to the east, right, the sun, sun rises in the east, right? And then uh, sets in the west. So, social cohesion means shared moral universe which means universalist morality. It's not okay to rip off outsiders. It's not okay to treat out-groups shabbily. It's you know, not okay to treat people badly just because they're not in your in-group. That's what I'm, one thing I'm enjoying about Australia. Then you know, kind of realizing what I've missed living in multicultural Los Angeles with such low social cohesion, such low social trust, and you know very little sense of a shared moral universe so in any insular group you get into in Los Angeles pretty much there's the ethic of oh you know what you do to outsiders doesn't matter very much it's what you do with the in-group that really matters oh mate I want to go for a swim what a great way to start the day So also thinking about that craving, right? That craving that comes up for for food or for porn or for sex or for alcohol or for drugs. You know, what's the what's the inattention that it's trying to distract you from? I love that idea. I've got about 10 gigs on my on my phone plan. Now, I paid $50 for 15 gigs of data and so I'm determined to use it all. I'm going to use all my data before I fly back to California. So I'm just going to keep chatting here because I've got about 10 gigs of data and I've only got about four days to use it. Man, people are fit here. Good way to start the day.